This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Dr. Samantha Harris, who is here to share her story and her weight loss journey. Before we begin, listeners, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. This way you can get notified as soon as the new episodes are released. Now let me briefly introduce my guest to you all. Dr. Samantha Harris is an endocrinologist at the Scripps Center for Weight Management in San Diego, California. She's certified in obesity medicine and specializes in both weight loss as well as the treatment for diabetes. Welcome to my podcast, Samantha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So we're very excited about listening to your story, and um, we briefly discussed about it earlier. So tell us more about your weight loss journey, and when did the weight loss actually become an issue for you? Yes, so it's interesting. I think my story might be a little bit different. I was not overweight my entire life, and even when I started dieting, I was not super overweight. I basically was in high school, I wanted to lose 10 or 15 pounds, which is typical, I think, of most girls in high school, unfortunately. And um, I stumbled upon low-carb diets, and the Atkins diet at that time was really popular. So I ended up starting a very low-carb diet my senior year of high school when I had about 10 or 15 pounds to lose. I lost the weight. I was doing great for about five months. I was in ketosis. I was running. I had a ton of energy. I feel like I looked pretty good. And then it all sort of fell apart when I graduated from high school. So the moment, I remember very clearly the moment when my weight really became a problem for me was my high school graduation dinner. I went out to eat with my family. I ordered a stir fry, you know, protein and vegetables bowl, and I told them no rice. And then I kept thinking to myself, this is a special occasion. If I can't indulge now, when can I indulge? I found the waitress. I told her, I changed my mind. I actually want brown rice. So I ate my dinner. I had the whole thing. Um, I felt okay, but I went home. And literally that night, I could not stop eating. I had, I never used to eat past dinner and I would come downstairs and kept eating pieces of bread with Nutella on it. I lived with my family. So we had, you know, not healthy foods at home for other people. And I, I would eat a piece. I felt so embarrassed. I it was in the dark and then I would go upstairs and then I was like this drive to continue eating. And basically that began my journey of constantly trying to go back to that low carb, it was ketogenic at that time, uh, lifestyle, but not being able to stick with it. And I basically developed binge eating disorder subsequently to this and gained a tremendous amount of weight the summer after my senior year of high school, as well as in college, I gained over 60 pounds. So then I graduated from college, I weighed over 200 pounds. The entire time I was in college, I was trying tooth and nail to get back to where I had been on that low carb high. And I was constantly on off the wagon. I was a complete binge eater, which I knew nothing about. And now I feel 
like a public service announcement I want the entire world to know about because it is so surprisingly common. And I spent close to 10 years trying to go back to where I had been because I truly believed in eating low carb. I thought it was the best thing for health and for me. And I absolutely could not stick to it. Wow. So obviously you didn't know about binge eating disorder then, but did you try to seek help at that point in time at all for your urges or uh, inability to control um, those desires to eat the carbs? So I knew something was wrong with me. It was clear to me something was wrong with me. I don't think most people are running out at 10 o'clock at night, driving super far away so they don't run into anyone at the grocery store because they're buying ice cream and then eating ice cream in the car and disposing of the wrapper, you know? And that wasn't every day of my life, but I vividly remember these events. I knew something was wrong with me and I saw a flyer in college, you know, advertising for treatment of an eating disorder. So I went, I was at the University of Michigan. It was a very academic institution. And I did an interview and I met with a psychologist to see if I qualified for the study. And it turned out I did qualify. So clearly someone thought I had binge eating disorder, but I decided to go home for the summer and I didn't stay and I didn't get treatment for it. So I did not really identify it as an eating disorder. I constantly felt like it was a matter of willpower. Like if I had enough willpower, if I was motivated enough, I could get control of this. And I noticed that with all of my patients, they all think weight loss is just willpower. And it, it isn't something changed in my brain chemistry. It was not happy that I lost that weight. It was not happy that I stopped eating carbs and it wanted me to eat all of the carbs in the universe to get back to as high of a weight <laughs> as it possibly could. It was horrible. It was horrible. And considering I thought I was overweight when I was, you know, 10 pounds to lose, I was like 145 pounds. Now weighing over 200 pounds, four years later, it felt like my life had ended. It was, hor- it was debilifying, I think is the best way I can describe it. Wow. Wow. And um, did it have any impact on your relationship with your family or, or with your friends? Oh my gosh. I'm laughing when you asked me this question because I come, I was, I was raised Jewish. That was my background. And in the Jewish culture, I think, and in a lot of cultures, appearance is really important. And my parents were really honest with me to the point of being probably brutally honest. And they essentially were like staging interventions to try and get me to lose weight. I don't think they were trying to help me with what had become like a food addiction and my binge eating. I don't know if they knew I really had that degree of a problem, but they wanted me to lose weight. So they would give me incentives for losing weight. They would stage these little interventions. My dad sat down with me at a restaurant and had this little pep talk where he basically told me that there was a chance I wouldn't get into medical school because when I went to my interviews, the people interviewing me would judge me on base, you know, on a a bunch of different things. And, and, oh yeah, he added at the end, they're going to judge you on how you look. And if you want to be a doctor and you are overweight, that might work against you. Wow. It was a touchy subject. Let's, let's just say that it was not (laughs) an easy thing to talk about with my friends. It was hard too, because, you know, in college, a lot of people only knew me as overweight. And if people knew me as overweight, I was very comfortable with that. Um, especially in medical school too. They all knew me at, you know, 180 pounds, whatever I weighed when I was in medical school, that was me. And I knew they accepted me. What was really hard for me was seeing people who knew me when I was thin. It was embarrassing for me 
it was, I was so ashamed. I didn't want people to actually see what I physically look like. There's such an emphasis on your physical appearance at that age where I grew up with my cultural background. Um, I just would rather even not see people. So at times it felt like when I was home from college, I didn't want to go out in public. I didn't, you know, I only had a very core group of friends that I felt comfortable being around. It wasn't until, you know, I, in college and then in medical school that I felt more comfortable. And, and then I don't think it really affected my relationships. Although I think it made dating harder. I was single. I weighed over 200 pounds. Um, yeah, it affects not just maybe people who find me attractive, but my confidence, which I think is even more important than that. You know, I think you can find love at any size, but when you aren't confident and you don't put yourself out there and you're not trying to meet people, that's really what's going to be. I think it's all about how much you can love yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror. And that's a very critical thing that we see very often. People often feel ashamed about their weight, thinking that it's their fault. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it is not. And uh, from what you're telling me, it seems like it wasn't necessarily your fault but you thought it was right of course i felt like if i could just go back to this diet plan and i did a low carb diet i also did fasting and i did extended fasting i basically was doing what's currently super trendy now um and just ending up in a worse place than i was to begin with so in particular when you asked me to to speak about my experience i felt at this time it's probably even more important because right now this is what everybody is, is doing. And for some people, I think it works great, but for others, if you can't stick to it and you're constantly on off, the yo-yo dieting is way worse. I think then it's better to find something that's more moderate that people can sustain for the rest of their lives. I was not going to be able to fast doing only water for a week at a time to make up for a bad bingeful weekend for the rest of my life. That wasn't a healthy a healthy lifestyle for me. So uh, when did you decide that it was time to do something more about it than what you were already doing? Yeah. So even through medical school, I was on off. I would try to eat low carb. I would go out drinking. We would get Mexican food at midnight and I would totally fall off plan. I, I could not fully get back to where I was, even though I was struggling and I maintained my weight. I was no longer, you know, continuing to gain weight. I had lost a little bit of weight. Um, but when I went to residency, everything sort of just changed for me. My lifestyle, I moved out of the Midwest. I moved to California. I made new friends. It was just a completely new environment. I was working nights. I was working 80 plus hours per week. Stress was super high. Everything changed. And at some point, my intern year, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was eating in the cafeteria. There weren't always low carb options and it just, it wasn't working. And I realized it wasn't working. And I basically stopped trying to overly restrict myself by eliminating the entire group of carbohydrates, which is hard to eliminate. So I started eating fruit, which seems really basic. And everyone's probably like, Oh my God, I eat fruit all the time. Fruit is so healthy. Well, when you're on a really low carb diet, you are told that, you know, you shouldn't even eat fruit. I went years probably without eating fruit when I was trying to eat healthy. Um, and at first I would overeat it. Like I wouldn't just have one apple. I would have three apples. Um, but that was how I sort of segued into eating carbs again and not just trying to eat 
protein and vegetables. And I also started taking metformin. I, I consider myself taking it off label. I don't have diabetes. I don't have PCOS, but I have a family history of diabetes and I felt like I had PCOS tendencies. So I convinced a doctor to let me try it. And with the liberalizing of carb intake and I think metformin, um, I gradually became able to eat carbs in normal quantities. It wasn't all or nothing. It wasn't black or white where I had zero carbs or 5,000. It was like I could eat a half a sandwich that had a slice of bread in it and not feel like I needed to eat the entire loaf of bread or, you know, continue to eat other carbs afterwards to the point of discomfort, which was really nice. I basically was able to eat in moderation and portion control and feel satiety again, which I had stopped feeling. I basically only felt hunger or painfully full and, and was able to gradually lose weight over years. It was not the immediate gratification that I had wanted with a low carb diet where I, you know, I don't know if people do this, but I used to make these calendars. Like if I lose three pounds a week between now and my birthday or between now and new year's, then on new year's day, I will be 120 pounds. I probably have hundreds of little pieces of paper (laughs) saying, if I got back on plan, here's what I could do thinking that would motivate me. And I needed, I thought I had to lose so much weight so quickly in order to be healthy and to look good when really it took me years to lose the weight. I lost 60 pounds. Yeah. It's It's interesting that you mentioned that because actually, um, you know, there are apps um, that do kind of, I don't want to name any apps, but there are actually apps where you you put in your calories and they'll tell you that if you eat these many calories per day, this is your expected weight at the end of say five weeks or four weeks or whatever have you. But that necessarily may not be the case because everybody's different. And if you're, if you start initially, your trajectory is going to be much more steep. You're going to lose much more weight, but if you're at the fag end, it's going to slow down and you're going to try to start plateauing. And that's when it gets, starts getting frustrating because your app is saying, oh, you eat this much and you're going to lose this much, but that's really not what's happening. Absolutely. I totally agree. And patients get so frustrated. I mean, I see patients sometimes, I had a patient yesterday who has lost 17 pounds in the first month that I saw her. In four weeks, she lost 17 pounds, but I guess she's been watching the TV show, my 600 pound life. I've never seen it, but apparently the doctor tells them you need to lose 20 pounds the first month, or he gives them some type of goal. And she was nervous that when I saw her, I was going to be disappointed that she didn't lose 20 pounds. And I was laughing. That's insane. First of all, in somebody who's struggling with their weight, sometimes just maintaining your weight is a win. And you need to realize that that's a win. Stopping weight gain is a success. Being able to maintain your current weight is a success. But weight loss, it can be slow and it can be steady. And that might make it more permanent. It might not. Some people get frustrated when they're only losing a pound a week. To them, that's nothing. And they, they don't want to stick to the plan that they're following. So I really, it's what you said. It's, it's all about individualizing the plan. And, the yeah, and then the other interesting thing that you mentioned, and um, you know, um, I do want to point out to our listeners is there's a lot of hype about intermittent fasting, about ketogenic diet, but uh, you know, let, taking your example, ketogenic diet worked for you for some time, but it didn't necessarily work for you in the long run. So it's really about individualizing the, a program for the patient. It may not always be a ketogenic diet and it may not always be an intermittent fasting, but it can be either of them also, or it can be something else that works for you. 
And um, uh, there, there was actually a very interesting study, the A to Z trial, which showed that no matter what type of diet you follow, as long as you follow the diet and you're able to sustain that, the weight loss was the same in all of the different types of diets that are, that are available. So it's really about finding what works for you rather than, you know, this is random diet that comes onto the market every now and then and people just jump onto that. That's not the magic pill. That's not, you know, you, don't, you can't wave, uh, wave a magic wand and say, okay, this is the final answer and this is it. And this is the only thing that's going to work. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And in both senses, like I think listeners might think that I am now anti-low carb and that is so far from the truth. I still go, I attend sometimes the yearly low carb conferences. My name is on the low carb websites as a provider who will support people who want to follow a ketogenic or low carb life. I have patients who um, only eat meat, literally only eat meat. And I completely will support them. If that is the lifestyle they choose for themselves, they feel the best they're able to maintain it. I'm here to help you. And I don't think anyone can say that a low carb diet is better or worse for you than any other type of diet. I just don't think the data is strong enough to go in either respect. You're right. Whatever diet you enjoy that you think you can stick to is the best thing for you to be doing. But having said that, I belong to a lot of Facebook support groups. Um, a lot of them are for female physicians as a female physician. I like those types of groups. I get a lot of educated feedback. Um, we get to share ideas and patient stories or, you know, the personal stories. And I find so much, especially on the weight loss groups that the people who follow low carb or ketogenic diets, one, it's very popular. So a lot of people are doing it, but they also are very vocal. And, um, in some ways it's almost like politics or religion. It, it becomes, this stance that this is the only plan that you should be following. So someone will post, um, you know, I'm doing Weight Watchers or I'm doing something calorie counting. It's not working. And the responses, I, 80% of them are always, you need to do low carb and fasting. Have you read the obesity code? Have you listened? Have you heard of Jason Fung? Um, have you gone to dietdoctor.com? Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to give all these specific examples, but it is so redundant that sometimes I feel like my head is going to explode when I read them. And I used to try to add in like, you know, find something, if this isn't working for you, consider something else. But there's data out there that so many lifestyles work, not just low carb. There's data for Weight Watchers, great accountability, weekly weigh-ins and meetings. There's data for meal replacements. Like there is so much data out there that I don't know why sometimes we let go of evidence-based medicine and just assume that what's worked for us is going to work for everybody, that that's the only, you know, one size fits all prescription for weight loss. And, um, I stopped responding to all these posts because there's just too many. I don't have enough time <laughs> in a day, but I do try to offer support to think about what else is out there. Consider something different. If this isn't working for you, if whatever plan you're doing, isn't working for you, consider something else. And it doesn't mean when I'm on plan, I lose weight. My problem is sticking to the plan. Then that's not working. Then that plan is not working. If you cannot stick to it, it's not working. And you need to come up with something else. Maybe you need medication to help you stick to that plan if you actually really enjoy it. Um, or maybe surgery. You know, surgery is not the worst option out there. And it's definitely underutilized as our weight loss medications. So yeah. I just think an open mind. An open mind. Yep. Or, or it may not be anything to do with the plan that you're following at all. It may just have to be, you know, something to do with um, another disorder, a psychiatric disorder, for example, like a binge eating disorder, nighttime eating syndrome. 
which go unrecognized so often. You know, so it's, it may not be anything to do with uh, the plan that you, you want to follow, but it may just be something completely different, which requires a completely different therapy uh, than, you know, just sticking to a plan and losing weight. Absolutely. I think, especially with binge eating disorder, sometimes the more restrictive you are, the worse the binge eating disorder gets. So you really need to, you know, walk a fine line between trying to lose weight by changing your diet, but also try not to exacerbate or worsen the binge eating disorder. And, um, and I think you just need to be cautious. You need to obviously try to somehow lose weight in a healthy way, but also do something sustainable that doesn't worsen, worsen the binge eating. And I honestly, with binge eating disorder patients, I have seen great success with medications that are out there. Some that are on label, some that are off label, um, and therapy, which have data to support them. And it's yep. not just a matter of willpower. It's something physiological, it's a biologic mechanism and there yep. are ways that we can try to overcome them. Yeah. And intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet, whole food, plant-based diet, whatever diet you want to follow, it just goes out of the window before, because you have uh, a binge eating disorder. So you need to treat that first with uh, either, um, cognitive behavioral therapy or with some medications like Vyvanse or whatever um, before you can actually start any other diet because that's the issue. Okay, before we actually dive into how you actually found success and what strategies you used, I just want to remind our listeners to subscribe to my podcast. Listeners, it really helps if you can take just a few minutes to leave a review as well. Let us know how we are doing. Also, please let us know if there are any specific topics that you would want me to cover. And you can email me at host at decodingobesity.com. Okay, Samantha, so let's dive back in. So how did you do it? So what finally worked for you? Yes. So I mentioned that I started eating fruit again, and I started taking metformin. And then I started feeling satiety when I ate carbs, which meant that I could actually do portion control. I could eat generally healthy meals, which had starches, but I chose usually the whole grains, the brown rice, the, you know, or like low carb tortillas, stuff like that. Um, but I could eat them in moderation. So ultimately it was portion control. I also do intermittent fasting, but I do more time restricted feeding than an extended fast. So like the popular 16, eight plan I do most days of the week, not always on the weekends and some meal replacements. So it's almost like a mixture of plans that worked for me being on the go, having young kids, um, having meal replacements as an option, especially for breakfast. Once I, you know, started my eating window has been really helpful. And if I wanted to lose more weight during periods of time, say before my wedding or, um, if I started creeping up from a, a bad weekend, um, I could do more meal replacements per day or try to limit the starches more. So it's really about watching where your weight is going and kind of keeping a track of um, your weight and knowing what had worked for you and trying to incorporate that back into your life, uh, being a little more stringent about it when you see your weight creeping back up. Yes. And I, I have one of those Wi-Fi scales. Actually, my husband got it. I was not super happy when he got it. That records your weight and it sent my weight to him the first time I used it. And I was, <laughs> I did not know it was going to do that. This is before we were married. 
and I still had a, a, a decent amount of weight to lose and I was kind of embarrassed, but I got over it. So I am a fan of daily Wayne. <laughs> I love some of these Wi-Fi trackers because it really gives you insight. It shows you ups and downs. And sometimes when you think you're not losing weight at all, but you actually look at the curve over time or you look back a year ago, it's, it can be helpful, motivating. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, if you track your weight or if you look at the graph um, of your weight loss, it's very interesting to see how it goes down and then it slightly comes back up and then kind of stabilizes. It's 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 fascinating to um, to actually you know see that. Um, so, has your strategy changed from weight loss to you know now weight maintenance because they're two different two different beasts that you have to actually tackle. Totally. And what's interesting is I feel like I lost most of the weight doing weight maintenance because I stopped binge eating because I stopped low carb and then completely falling off the wagon. I was able to eat in moderate amounts. I never felt like I had to overly restrict myself. Intermittent fasting is super easy for me. I'm not a breakfast person to begin with. So Mm. it felt really easy. It felt almost effortless. And I hate to say that. And that's why I think I'm a little bit of an anomaly for people who are trying to lose weight, but it can happen just by eating in moderation. I was able to lose the weight. Now during times where I wanted to lose more weight or I had stopped losing weight. Um, like I said, you know, I would, I shift a little bit, especially on weekdays where I'm a little more stringent. Um, I can, instead of a eight hour eating window, perhaps I'll do a six or seven hour eating window um, more meal replacements or cutting back on starches, like more of a paleo type plan, which I can do. And what you mentioned about weight loss over time, seeing what happens and how it plateaus, it it never was just constant weight loss every day of my life, every week of my life. It would be like in spurts, you know, this month you lost five pounds and you maintained it for a month. And I think most people would get really frustrated by that and say, I've plateaued. This isn't working for me. But that's sometimes how weight loss works. It's stepwise. And yeah, it's very variable for each person. Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes just being patient, if you're finding something that's sustainable for you, obviously it has to be working. If it's not working at all, then something has yeah. to change. Uh, but, but do you, so you, you do the intermittent fasting. Do you go into ketosis now or no? Um, I don't. I will only go into ketosis if for some reason I'm, you know, limiting carbs, doing more paleo type. But with my fasting, it's usually just time restricted feeding. If for some reason Mm -hmm. I end up doing a 24 hour fast, it's accidental. Like I ended up at the DMV and I thought it would take 20 minutes and it took five hours. Um, (laughs) and then maybe I have, would have, you know, trace ketones, but, um, it, I honestly feel like the state of ketosis messed with me. It messed with my brain. It messed with my reward system, something about restricting carbs. I don't know if it was ketosis per se or just the carb restriction. Um, my reward system, my dopamine, something changed in me and I was not able to eat like a normal person. Assuming a normal person feels satiety, they get pleasure from food and then they're done and they don't overeat to the point that they feel sick. I mean, it's so interesting, right? Uh, These um, modalities, they may seem not very significant, but they can have a significant effect on somebody's life. Like you were in that phase when you started binging because of, you know, trying to be in ketosis. And it's, uh, it's very interesting because it can have such a detrimental effect on somebody's life. And these are simple things that may change. So we have to be very careful what, about what we try. And that's why we always, you know, recommend that it should be done under medical supervision, 
but done by a trained specialist so that they can monitor you and see where you're going wrong or what's going wrong and to anticipate where you will need help and when we can change things. For example, you went on for the longest time having this issue with binge eating, not knowing that it was actually a binge eating disorder that you were suffering from um, just because you didn't know about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, working with a provider is really helpful. I have so many patients that come see me that say, should I do the keto diet? Should I eat low carb? Is that how I'm going to lose weight? And I say, I will fully support you. If you enjoy that food and you think you can maintain it for the rest of your life, um, absolutely, let's do it. But if you are looking at a temporary fix, if you are planning on having a piece of cake next month on your birthday or letting go on the weekends for, you know, Super Bowl Sunday, this is not a good fit for you. It takes a highly motivated person to do such a restrictive plan. And it really has to be a lifelong commitment. So the patients I have that are on it are doing great. Um, this is their lives. This is not, I just want to lose weight. This is, my pain is better. I My blood sugars are better controlled. I have some patients with type 1 diabetes who are carnivore who are doing great. And who yeah. am I to say, no, this is not a healthy plan for you. I can't. I have tried um, sort of a whole food diet in the past, but I was doing calorie counting and I was pretty much eating whole foods. Um, and I had a policy like I would only eat what I was cooking at home. So, and that worked great, great for me because yeah. I was able to eat anything and everything under the sun. But but the rule was that I had to make it at home. So it's such a simple thing because you're not going to be doing this every day at home because it's it's tedious to do this. So how many times are you going to do that? How many times are you going to bake a cake at home? You're not going to be baking a cake at home every day. You're not going to be baking a cookie at home every day because it's a lot of work. You know, you'll probably do it once a week or once in two weeks, maybe. So if somebody just follows just a simple thing as I'm only going to eat what I cook at home, it still may work for you. You don't need to try ketogenic or intermittent fasting, or whatever have you. You can just start by trying something as simple as, you know, just cook at home. Definitely. I think eating out, there's such a surprising amount of calories in food prepared in restaurants. It's alarming. But I think because of that, with COVID, some patients have done really well and others have not done well at all. And it's almost like I haven't had a single patient that's just maintained their weight during COVID. They've either gained 15 pounds or they've lost 15 pounds. And part of it might be, you know, not going out to eat but others are still going through drive throughs now or having food delivered to them even more and not going to the grocery store as much. So it really, it can make a huge difference, just simple changes like that. Right. Did you try anything for your binge eating um, disorder, so to say, or were you formally ever diagnosed as having a binge eating disorder or it's just that you felt that you, this uncontrollable urge just that you had? I don't think I was formally diagnosed because I never really met with a provider who was equipped to diagnose it. Binge eating disorder is the number one most common eating disorder out there, but it's so often missed. And not just because providers aren't asking the right questions, but because patients are just so embarrassed. It seems like a matter of willpower, like a character flaw to be engaging in behavior like that. And nobody just goes to their doctor for an appointment and says, listen, I'm here because... I can't stop eating. I am uncontrollably eating. I eat very large portions and I feel sick to my stomach and something is wrong with me. Usually they're there for something else. Doctors don't have time to talk about stuff like that. 
And they're not usually asking the questions that you need to really figure out a binge eating disorder. But binge eating especially is common in people who are overweight, people who have type 2 diabetes. There's an increased risk of metabolic syndrome and um, comorbid mental health conditions, anxiety and depression. It really needs to be screened more. It needs to be more prominent in providers' minds when they see a patient who's struggling with their weight. Um, And also, I think patients shouldn't be so embarrassed to bring it up because these are their doctors. We, we talk to our doctors about really embarrassing things, right? Like if That's you had true. a giant hemorrhoid, you would go and talk to your doctor about it. And that might be a little bit uncomfortable for you, but binge eating disorder is a medical condition. It is a mental condition. It affects so much about your well being. Do not be ashamed to talk to someone about it or get the help that you need. Yeah, that's very important because um, it has to be recognized as a disease in the patient's mind. And a lot of times people don't know because it's one of those diseases that is not really talked about. People talk about depression. You'll see so many ads about medications for depression, for bipolar disorder, and so many other things. But nobody talks about binge eating disorder. They don't say that, uh, yeah, this is the medication for binge eating disorder if you feel these these, these symptoms. So obviously people don't know and it's a very unrecognized um, psychiatric illness that exists amongst people. Absolutely. Yeah, and then there's certain things that and, can, and of course, potentially treatable. Yeah. yeah, and there are certain yeah. things that can precipitate it, like intermittent fasting, um, and even even getting a weight loss surgery if it goes unrecognized, that can actually worsen it. So it's so critical to have these diagnoses um, in mind when you're trying to treat somebody with obesity, or if somebody who's suffering from obesity. Um, you know, I had an episode, and that's why I did this episode on binge eating disorder a little while ago, so that people can understand and recognize if they're suffering from this. Because um, they can kind of reflect and see, okay, am I having these symptoms? So should I be seeking the help of a psychologist rather than an internist to help me with these symptoms? And maybe that's the answer to my obesity. Definitely. I mean, mental health services are very helpful. Um, and if an internist is not comfortable or, you know, well-versed in the treatment of binge eating disorder, referring to a specialist, whether it's a psychiatrist who specializes in eating disorders, I, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I am a huge fan of weight management centers where there are qualified providers who are educated even more beyond what they learn in med school and residency in terms of weight management. So I usually recommend when people are posting on Facebook, asking for all this help, I recommend looking for a provider who's certified in obesity medicine, somebody who has more expertise in it, who knows a little bit more about the medications, the off-label use, um, other medications that might precipitate binge eating disorder that are often overlooked. I have so many patients under psychiatric care who are on medications that cause weight gain, and it's really a struggle. It's pretty, yeah. it's, it can be very challenging to offset that weight gain or the insulin resistance or the drive to eat. What would you say were your key factors to success in your weight loss journey? 
I would say, my God, it took me a really long time to realize um, that the plan I was doing was not working for me and that it wasn't the plan's fault. It was my ability or inability rather to stick to the plan. And when I finally moved on and tried something different, that was not the most extreme thing. I've also tried some extreme things. Um, I was able to be more successful. Okay. And uh, do you get food cravings now or or no? Or how do you manage them? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm human. <laughs> I still definitely like sweets um, or, you know, carby, salty things, French fries and ice cream and cookies. And I either indulge myself in small portions or especially like on the weekends. I have young kids. So, you know, sometimes we get a bagel on Sunday mornings and eat it in the car. Thank you, COVID. And, um, <laughs> and, or, you know, now I've learned a lot more about meal replacements and I'm kind of into more clean ingredients. I'm not a huge fan of artificial sweeteners. So I found protein bars, protein shakes that taste like sweet to me, that taste like cookie dough or brownies or a chocolate milkshake, but don't have a ton of sugar and, and carbs in them that are higher in protein and more satiating. I see. Yeah. There are a lot of, um, a lot of options available now in the market. But you have to be very careful about what they contain, actually. You have to look oh. at, yeah, it's so difficult. Yeah, I'm not definitely not a fan of weight loss supplements, or most supplements in general. I just I dislike the fact that the FDA is not really regulating them that well, or at all. And they're often traced with some crazy ingredients. And when they're, you know, actually studied and looked at what's in there, it's it can be alarming. Yeah. A lot of them are just caffeine, really high doses of caffeine, yeah. which is not a great way to lose weight. Some of them have like thyroid hormones, oh, yeah. you know, crushed up, hidden in there, things of an endocrinologist nightmare. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a fan. If you're going to take a med, and I don't know why people are so averse to taking prescription weight loss medications, but they have no problem taking these over the counter drug herbs, supplements that are so poorly regulated. We have no idea what's actually in them. They can be traced with bad things. Yeah. Um, and yet here is a prescription that's FDA, you know, quality assured. Um, we have been around for years. Now the weight loss medications, um, there are combinations of medications that have been around forever who are that are studied longer than things used to be back in the day. So they're not like Fen Fen anymore, although yeah. they are Fen without the other Fen. Um, and or medications that were initially, they're prescribed for other diseases, but have been found to be helpful. And especially like the class of GLP-1 agonists That's have been cool. studied. These giant cardiovascular outcome trials, which have really supported safety. Um, and yet people are more inclined to take things that are over the counter as opposed to prescription. It's as though they think that a prescription medication or weight loss surgery is taking the easy way out. Yeah. As though somehow they should be able to do it with willpower alone um, and not need those types of help when really it's surgery is not an easy way out. That's true. It, it's, it requires a lot of work and lifelong work. It's not, it's not easy. It may sound easy, but it requires lifelong work with that um, surgery that you've had. And it's like constantly Absolutely. watching what you're doing, what you're eating, what you're not eating, your supplements that you're taking because you can have a lot of vitamin deficiencies. So it is a lot of work. The set of skills that you have and how you use them is more important than just willpower because honestly, uh, obesity and weight loss is not about willpower. I totally agree. Yeah. And planning. Like, I, if you are 
going to start a diet plan and your kitchen is not, and your pantry are not prepared for that diet plan, you are not prepared for that plan. And I usually recommend like picking a start date and preparing ahead of time and having all the good things available because we are short on time. You know, we're working, we have families, we have social engagements. So planning ahead is like really part of the key. Um, and there's a saying, like, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that's because we will make the easiest choice, the one that has the least resistance. And if we're hungry and we don't have time or we don't have food available to us, that's healthy and nutritious, we're just going to take whatever is there. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned about planning because um, when I lost my my weight, I lost about 40 pounds um, at one point in time. And um, I used to plan my week, like all the meals in my week, breakfast would be this, lunch would be this, and dinner would be this. So I would spend like one day of the week planning the next week. I mean, we plan for so many things. We plan for so many things. Like you, you don't randomly go and have a wedding. You plan for a wedding. <laughs> you Right. I mean, you plan for everything in your life. So yeah. planning for your health, I don't think is wrong. I think you should take time to plan for your Absolutely. health. Absolutely. But if you're not a cooker, I'm not, I mean, I cook, but probably only one day or two days a week. And then I have leftovers. I have a meal delivery service. I should have added that when you asked me what is working for me in terms of maintenance. I, my husband and I subscribe to a meal delivery service three days a week. We have dinner that has been delivered to our, our home on Mondays that we, and you can put it in the microwave, but I put it on like a nice porcelain dish and I put it in the oven and I usually add some vegetables to it and it's quite satisfying for us. And it's easy. I get home from work. We're in this like frazzle yeah. of dinner time, getting food on the table with kids or just we're hungry. We're getting home from work. We don't want to eat late at night. You know, I'm, I'm doing time restricted feeding. I can't eat at eight o'clock at night. Um, there's a sense of urgency. And at least if I have something healthy, that's really easy. That's our backup plan for our really busy, our busiest days of the week. Yeah, no, that's important because um, now you have so many things available. But if you have time available to cook, like I enjoy to cook. So that's that's my personal preference. I enjoy, I love cooking. So I try to cook whenever possible. Nobody knows you better than you yourself. So you have to see what will work for you. Some people, for some people, planning may work. For some people, meal replacements may work. For some people, ordering um, these pre-packed meals may work. But you have to find what works for you. You know, it just comes down to that. I totally agree. That's why individualizing is so important. Yeah. So before we close, uh, do you have any advice or tips for people who are going through their weight loss journey or any recommendations for them? Absolutely. I think the first thing I would recommend would be not to be afraid to ask for help. There is a wealth of information out there. And even if you feel like you know everything about diets, I would meet with somebody because sometimes you can know too much about how to eat healthy and all of the information can be conflicting and it's hard to still just pick one plan and stick to it. Um, I usually recommend meeting with somebody who is certified in obesity medicine who specializes in it um, to really find out more about what options are out there. Keep an open mind. Do not write off medications. Do not write off surgery. I wouldn't consider them to be any, you know, you know, shortcut to weight loss or doing the work for you because they are just tools in our toolbox to help you combat something that is really hard to uh, fight. It's hard to win with the battle and weight loss. We know that. We know what the data says. 
So I would just try to keep an open mind. And um, I guess since we've talked a lot about binge eating disorder, more than I even (laughs) anticipated, um, that if you are struggling, know that it is not your fault and don't be ashamed to seek help and to talk about it with others. Yeah. And if you want to know more about binge eating disorder, please listen to my episode on binge eating disorder, where I do enumerate all the symptoms about it so that you can know if you're suffering from it and if you need help with that. All right. So listeners, don't forget to drop us a review or a comment. If there's a specific topic that you would like me to discuss, please let me know. You can write to me at host at decodingobesity.com. Do subscribe for more fun and inspiring episodes like this one. Thank you so much, Samantha, for joining us and sharing your story and sharing your insight. And I'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.